the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. January, of course, marks a special month in which we set aside to not only honor those who have lost their lives to abortion since the Roe v. Wade decision 47 years ago, but celebrate the sanctity of human life. And certainly this January is no different. Events taking place in and around not just the state of California. We talked earlier about the Wasp for Life West Coast on the 25th. Of course, big march for life in Washington, D.C. as well. And other events as we kind of take the temperature of the pro-life movement heading into the first year of a brand new decade. We're joined by Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. And and Brian, I'm struck by the notion that um, 2020 marks another important milestone. It is the 100th anniversary of women getting the right to vote in America. Interesting how that is juxtaposed to gaining additional freedom in 1920 and losing so much of that in 1973. Well, Craig, you're actually right. What you have said, though, of course, violates the zeitgeist, the spirit of how the Times want to present that. And maybe we saw that last night at the uh, at the Golden Globes where abortion was worshipped as uh, almost an entry point for, by one actress. Her abortion was the, the redeeming part of her life. And uh, yet, that isn't what women's rights is actually about. It's, and again, more than half of those that are killed in abortion are female. It's actually a, a, a distortion to characterize human abortion as a reproductive right because there's nothing being reproduced. This is actually the exact op- You're killing a human being. And yet, this is, as you know, verbally celebrated as a woman's right, but it's actually much more, uh, how will we put it, a much more ominous practice because it is killing the youngest member of society. And that has never been upheld as a um, cultural value or as a right throughout Western civilization. It's never called a right. It's not that it didn't happen, by the way. You know, as Shakespeare said, it's a, it's a rule, the protection of life is, a, is basically a principle of Western civilization. And Shakespeare said many rules are more often demonstrated by their breaking than their keeping. But this idea that killing your child is part of being a woman and you should do it freely and cheerfully uh, is actually more reminiscent of primitive cultures and very ominous cultures, uh, such as in the worship of Baal. Well, and isn't there also a very fundamental, disingenuous, intellectual 
disconnect here? I mean, let's let's set aside the the, the moral yardstick for a moment. Whether you're coming at that from uh, you know a position of faith or what have you. The reality is, okay, 1973, Roe versus Wade decision handed down. Abortion becomes legal in America. In the ensuing 47 years, 56 million lives have been taken. And by my simple math, 28 million of those were women. So if the argument is that a woman, under all circumstances, has a right to choose what's done with her body, what of the 28 million women who are not given that right to make a decision about their own bodies because their life was taken from them. Exactly. It's very tragic. And really, if you look at the actual public opinion, women are more pro-life than men are. Public opinion polls are consistent that women themselves do not believe in this unlimited right to abortion. Women themselves understand the, the privilege of being a woman. My, my wife just reminded me yesterday that she is so privileged to be a wife and a mother. It, is, it fulfills her in so many ways. She's fulfilled in other things, too. She's a brilliant woman, but bringing life into the world is not something a man can do, and so a man is more willing to dismiss it than a woman is. Again, public opinion polls show that women are more pro-life than men. And another great example out of Hollywood really is how abortion has helped people like Harvey Weinstein and others, because they're the ones that really get off the hook. Women, in a sense, and this is part of the resentment culture, but women want equal rights. If men can basically walk away and kill a baby, have that baby killed, and have no responsibility, well, then they want to have that privilege, too. And that is such a distortion of what happens in human life, what real responsibility is, and what the privilege is of caring for life. So it really isn't a woman's right. It's actually a woman's privilege. And yes, if they say, oh, yeah, but you're forcing birth, you know, we can have that whole debate. We're not forcing birth. The fact is, is that if you don't think you can handle that child's life, there are folks, there are two-year waiting lists for that very same child, literally two million adoptive couples, and they'll take children, many, many will take children with disabilities and children of any race. So this idea that this is a good thing, and, and again, that, oh, we're going to save the planet, we're reducing the population, there's all sorts of ways to distort this as a virtue but it's intellectually dishonest, and it's objectively dishonest. Science is on our side. That's a unique human being. That child does reside within the mother for the time being, but that's not part of her body. It's not, and it never was. So this verbal distortion uh, is still with us. We have to fight that. We have to cut through in the fog of battle and the battle of ideas. And I, I see a lot of opportunities. One of the things now in 2020, we have to wake up to the fact that who you elect will make a difference. Right now we have people like Nancy Pelosi. Ironically, she says she's a Catholic, but she doesn't believe Catholic teachings on this. And the Catholic Church says this is the, the principal issue for society. She doesn't believe that at all. And there's going to be thousands of people walking in San Francisco, but what's going to make a difference is how they vote. Are we going to send Pelosi's back to office? Are we going to send Gavin Newsom? He says he's a Catholic. 
so we have to cut through the verbiage that's used to kind of cover and shield what this really is. We have to cut through to the facts. And before 73, the reason these decisions, Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton, are so significant and why they're remembered is that before that date in 1973, every state respected women and their babies and said, we don't want these babies killed. That's a unique baby. Every state, even California, a, quote, liberalized law, said, no, there's a certain point after 20 weeks, even if you've got a good reason, rape, incest, life of the mother, severe fetal deformity, you might use that reason before 20 weeks. After 20 weeks, that baby's got to be protected. It's obvious it's a baby. Anyone who looks at the objective facts recognizes that's a human baby. So we want to get people back to the objective facts of human lives. And the purpose of the law is to protect that vulnerable human being. And there's so much more at stake because if that child can be killed, then any vulnerable person can be killed. And that we see that now happening. So this is a cultural fight for our, our culture and our values and our laws. And we need to wake up to that right now in 2020. And people are. That's the great thing. People are waking up like never before. There's a number of events, as we talked about earlier, that are going to be taking place not only across the state, but across the country, marking the 47th anniversary of the historic Roe versus Wade decision. Information available on the web at nrlc.org. That's NRLC, National Right to Life Committee, nrlc.org. Our thanks to Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, for that update. 619, let's get caught up on traffic right now. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The White House has been expressing regret over the way in which Qurans were disposed of in Afghanistan. Now, you might recall a couple of three years ago, maybe four years ago, pallets of New Testaments were sent to Afghanistan by Christian organization here in America to be available to distribution to members of the United States military. The very presence of God's word on Afghan soil made the Afghanis so upset that in order to deal with the controversy, the United States military burned them. Didn't put them back on a plane and ship them back to the States. They just set them on fire. Nobody said a word. We complained about it on this program. Few others covered the story. Largely nobody said a word. Now, the White House is doing a lot of hand-wringing over this entire issue uh, because it seems as if uh, there's major concerns over the fact that the United States military improperly, quote-unquote, disposed of copies of the Koran in Afghanistan. In fact, there's uh, been some statements made by uh, General John Allen, commander for the International Security Assistance Force, offering his sincere apologies over what transpired. ISAF personnel at Bagram Air Base improperly disposed of a large number of Islamic religious materials, which included Qurans. We immediately intervened and stopped them. The materials recovered will be properly handled by appropriate religious authorities. We are thoroughly investigating the incident 
and we are taking steps to ensure this does not ever happen again. Of course, it's their country, and I guess they can have their own rules with regard to Sharia law and so forth. But I just find it quite ironic that uh, they had no issue with the burning of thousands of Bibles, and yet Qurans being disposed of inappropriately, and everything in the United States military comes to a grinding halt. Walid Shobat joins us now. He himself is the author of a number of best-selling books, including Dear Muslim, Let Me Tell You Why I Believed. Uh, Israel and the World's Mock Trial, and his latest book, God's War on Terror. And Wally, great to have you back on the program. Thank you for having me. What is uh, first your reaction to this news uh, coming out of Afghanistan with regards to the apologies and the mea culpas in the handling of these Qurans? Well, it's very shocking. Uh, we've had those kind of apologies uh, happen when, uh, I believe, also military servicemen urinated on dead terrorists, yet that's a major issue. Yet the killing of Americans, or even the invitation of uh, the uh, 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 Prime Minister of Transportation of Iraq, which was involved, who was involved in the Khobar Tower massacres, killing American servicemen, uh, he's welcome to the White House. You know, those kind of things is beginning to show the American people that there is uh, a double standard here in which the Obama administration uh, suppresses uh, the issues that relates to the American people's rights to investigate even the 9-11 issues in which uh, Judge Daniels, a uh, federal judge in the Havlish case, discovered that Iran is involved in 9-11, in which uh, agents of the Iranian regime, uh, like Hadi Al-Amri, visits the White House, and of course the president uh, releases, uh, sends back, I guess, our troops uh, as a Christmas present, yet ignoring those issues of persecution of Christians globally in Egypt, uh, in Iraq, uh, in much of the Muslim world, uh, in which, uh, let's face it, I mean, there is thousands of cases in which Islamists burned uh, Bibles, uh, even in historical uh, recent times. Uh, and even back to the Damur massacre in Lebanon, in which they used them for toilet paper. They used Bibles for toilet paper. Let's not forget the destruction of holy sites, even in Israel. Nothing was done by our administration, in which uh, even Joseph's tomb was desecrated, and Torah scrolls were defecated on, and uh, things that are it's very difficult to describe on the program. Instead of addressing the major issues that we have, you know, uh, in which the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt are advancing through deception. That's a subject we'd love to discuss on your show, in which they use uh, uh, what is called muruna to twist the uh, Sharia laws itself and permit Muslims from carrying out all kinds of evil activities. Well, let's talk about what's going on there, uh, since you brought it up. Uh, we, we all know, of course, 30 years ago, the assassination of Anwar Sadat, largely because he dared to enter into a peace agreement uh, with the nation of Israel. Um, for the course of the following 30 years, Hosni Mubarak, uh, granted while somewhat uh, favorable or friendly with uh, the West, nevertheless was a totalitarian leader. Uh, he eventually gets ousted, as we know, during the so-called uh, Arab Spring. And uh, this is applauded much by the administration that we see the deposing of this dictator and the idea of a true democracy now coming to um, Egypt. And yet instead, we instead what we've really seen is is the overtaking of that nation by the 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 Islamists? Uh, we've seen better than eighty percent 
elected to the parliament there. It is just within the last um, several weeks, for example, uh, there in Egypt that some 3,000 Coptic Christians uh, were driven from their homes and villages, businesses burned down, churches burned down, uh, and yet the international media, uh, let alone the administration, has nothing to say about this. Nothing whatsoever. In fact, the general guide of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood, Muhammad Badir, who laid out his vision for the post-revolutionary era in Egypt, while revealing aspects of strategy uh, to his followers, showed a great deal of uh, how to combat secularism. In fact, they're reversing secularism in Egypt. In fact, I quote him verbatim. I translated it. It was translated from the Arabic. He says, do not fight in the ways of the world because they are overpowering, but try to overcome and use them, change their course, and pit some of them against the other. It's a master scheme of reversing secularism in Egypt and advancing Islamist cause and saying that the Muslims now need to kind of join in with secularists in order to pit uh, people against each other and change the course of the situation in Egypt. Uh, When Badir says to overcome and use the ways of the world, he is instructing Muslims worldwide on how to overcome Western secularism. It was precisely this purpose for which the Muslim Brotherhood advanced a new doctrine called Muruna, M-U-R-U-N-A, which Americans and Westerners fairly are accustomed to. It was prescribed by Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi, the main Muslim Brotherhood intellect, and what its goal is to basically sanction all Islamic prohibitions. In other words, we're talking about Sharia laws, despite the Sharia laws is really in contrary to our constitution, uh, now, certain Sharia laws that basically protect uh, human beings for surviving or protects or even san- uh, prohibits Muslims in working in banks are all permitted. Now, uh, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood has, has an injunction to allow the killing uh, of even Muslims in Western countries. Uh, if they are shielded by Western society, it's okay. As long as you kill the Americans, you kill the Muslims in, in in the process, that's fine. I could go through all kinds of documents and all kinds of issues here, uh, but Americans need to begin to understand the deception factor that the Muslim Brotherhood is applying with Maruna, in which they reverse uh, all uh, laws, even in Sharia, to make permitted to permit the Muslims from uh, carrying out evil acts. In fact, I could give the quotes. Uh, to show what this plan is all about. Let me have you pause at that point. I want to have you share uh, that, if you would, Wally, but do so uninterrupted. So let's do this. Let's get an update on traffic real quick here, get a look at some headline news. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Wally Chobot, my guest, as we're talking about uh, the, the deception plan uh, underway in Egypt. And I tell you, we got a lot to be concerned about, folks. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to our conversation. Walid Shobat, my guest. Walid, if you're not familiar with his work in ministry, is a former Palestinian terrorist and um, joins us now as we're talking about uh, what's been going on with the changes 
Uh, since the fall of the Mubarak regime in uh, Egypt last year, uh, there had been so much hope of the so-called Arab Spring. But yet, as we've seen, nation after nation in that region, Tunisia and Libya and Egypt and so on, fall. Uh, we're beginning to find out that this Arab Spring is turning into the Islamic winter. Talk a bit about um, what you were sharing just before the break, Waleed, and that is uh, this tactic that's being used by the Muslim Brotherhood that has gained so much power, almost 75 to 80% of the seats in the Egyptian parliament now under their control. Uh, what exactly are they up to right now, and, and what's going on with the changes in relation to the Sharia law there? Well, it is actually a tactic titled Maruna. M, like Mary, U-R-U-N-A. In fact, people could look it up and look at my research by just plugging my name, Shubat and Maruna. It was a doctrine that was prescribed by, by none other than Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi, who's the main Muslim Brotherhood intellect. He initiated the doctrine in December, as far back as 1989, December, while in, he was in the, while in the United States, even during an annual conference with the Association of the Muslim Youth Forum, with Muhammad Hamidi, who, by the way, is a leading rebel in Libya who participated heavily in the Arab Spring. Hamidi is also the head of the Muslim Brotherhood in Mauritania. So the idea of Muruna is really to pull the wool, pull the, you know, uh, deceive the West in talking about this whole idea of Arab Spring and all of these things, when it, in fact it is an Islamic Spring. And... The doctrine really aspires for deception against the West. The doctrine really is a, was a long-term plan. Uh, it should be very great interest to every American. In, in, in what the forum termed the priorities of the Islamic movement in the next three decades, from 1990 to 2020, they plan to attain what they described as what they called the goal of the Islamic movement, which confirms the general leader of the Muslim Brotherhood, Badir, which he made it recently, the statement that uh, they want to basically uh, uh, have Egypt come back and change the society, and I quote it verbatim, to lead society, all of society, to bring back the caliphate to announce jihad, either by arms or by pen or by heart. And they talk about global takeover of the world. Muruna was designed to catapult and advance Sharia by using Western means. And if one thinks that Sharia, with its harsh code, is problematic enough, how about the elimination of the kinder, gentler laws of Sharia? Muruna is literally accomplished by permitting behavior normally is, in, uh, is chewed by the Sharia law itself that Westerners logically see more moderate version of Islam. When such prohibitions are suddenly permitted, uh, you, be, you begin to see uh, a change in the Muslim world. Westerners, you know, in fact, uh, are being deceived. Muruna is about going to great lengths to gain interest through uh, a much deeper level of deception, while simultaneously lowering the guard and gaining the support of the what they call the infidels. Uh, in fact, uh, the series of preparing the atmosphere under the uh, what they call the workings of as-si'ah, which is inclusion, and muruna, which is flexibility in this case. And this is the quote that they have in their law, in this doctrine verbatim, translated into English. It says, Sharia's ability to be flexible and inclusive is that it cares for their needs while excusing the burdens Muslims have to endure. 
for the sake of their destiny, it was made lawful for them to have exceptions from the law that are appropriate for them since these exceptions match their general goals to make it easy for humanity by removing the chains of Sharia law they were made to adhere in previous Sharia rulings. In other words, let's make null and void Sharia laws that prohibits the Muslim from doing certain things well, by befriending the unbelievers, working in banking, a Muslim girl uh, now is allowed to marry a non-Muslim in the West, as we've seen with the case of Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin, which her mother, Saleh Abedin, was a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, this is why I began to investigate this whole issue. That story then raised a red flag. How could it be possible that Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi of the Muslim Brotherhood allows such a marriage when in Islam it's prohibited. In fact, it, it mandates the death penalty. So the West in this case sees, wow, look, the Muslim Brotherhood has moderated when nothing of the such. It is really a ruse in order to basically put spies in the West. This, this, is, this, is, this is really infiltration, what we're talking about here then. Exactly what it is. In fact, it's infiltration to the point that all the Islamic injunctions, all the uh, prohibitions have been made to be uh, uh, sanctified. In fact, I can uh, give one quote that basically puts an end to the argument. Uh, this quote from Muruna Doctrine by the Muslim Brotherhood, it states, I quote, When evil and harm conflict as necessities demand, we must then choose the least of the two evils or harms. This is what the experts in jurisprudence decided. If interests and harms and evils conflict or benefits conflict with evils, what is then to be decided is to review each benefit and each evil and its consequences so the minor evils are forgiven for the sake of the greater long-term benefit. In fact, I add what they have stated here, which is, more extreme. He said, they say, the evil is, so, uh, is also accepted even if that evil is extreme and normally considered deplorable. In other words, deplorable evils now are permitted in Islam in order to carry out these interests for the Muslim Brotherhood. Wow. Let's pause on that point. We're going to come back. I mean, this again, you talk about the frog in the kettle approach this notion of temporary setting aside of some aspects of Sharia law, as Walid Chobot is suggesting, uh, in order to allow Islam greater ability to penetrate uh, Western life, uh, all with the idea in mind of not becoming a you know, friendlier, uh, uh, newer version of Islam, but rather uh, in order to penetrate to have greater influence uh, with a goal in mind of, of uh, doing just that, and that is the changing of our culture and our society. This is serious stuff. We're going to take a time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. His latest best-selling book, God's War on Terror, former Palestinian terrorist Walid Shobat. Back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to our conversation tonight with Walid Chilbot. Walid is uh, formerly involved with the PLO, 
Uh, he of anybody in this country understands exactly what is going on with the so-called Arab Spring, which for many is turning into an Islamic winter. We're talking about the Islamic Brotherhood, or the, or the Muslim Brotherhood, rather, uh, their impact on Middle Eastern politics, most specifically what they've done in Egypt and other parts of the world. And it's interesting because when you talk, Walid, about the degree of uh, the Muruna uh, deception here. Uh, this goes to the highest levels. There are reports that we have read uh, during the fall of regimes in Libya with Gaddafi and in Egypt with Mubarak that the influence of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, has been lauded as, quote, mostly or largely secular and that they have been considered heroes uh, in opening a pathway toward democracy. But is this the case? That's absolutely false not true. The uh, Nahda in Tunisia is very much pro-Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, in fact, in all these countries, they're talking about advancing towards Jerusalem, which has nothing to do with any Arab Spring. It, the idea is to topple uh, all Arab regimes and uh, uh, do away with nationalism altogether for the sake of an Islamic utopia. Uh, all the statements coming out of all the Middle Eastern uh, uh, countries that topple their regimes they're talking about advancing Sharia law. They're talking about a utopian uh, conquest of Islam. Uh, in fact, many who are astute to Islamic lying, I'm sure you've heard of the term taqiyya, which uh, allows Islamists to lie, but this is much greater. Uh, with Muruna and the Muslim Brotherhood and advancement of what's happening in the Arab Spring, uh, what was uh, once forbidden by Sharia, from major crimes like Muslims killing Muslims to issues of interest banking that include alliances with infidels, was made temporarily now lawful by Muruna. In fact, I give the exact quote. The, the, the Muruna doctrine states, it is permissible then to have alliances with powers that are non-Muslim. They ask the question, can Muslims work in banks that practice usury? For the young Muslims, they should not leave their jobs in banks and insurance agencies despite that their work is evil, since their experience in these agencies would gain experience for what would benefit the Muslim commerce. Whoever examines the issues in the light of the doctrine of balance, that is Maruna, would find that entry into these arenas is not merely a project, but a preference and a duty. In other words, it is really asking all Muslim communities, to infiltrate the West, to infiltrate the banking systems. In fact, even the issues when it comes to the right to life, the individual rights to life, can be eliminated under this new law, uh, under the section titled The Necessities of the Group. Qaradawi explains that, and I quote, As Sharia considers the individual needs, it permits many prohibitions and considers the necessities of the community. Qaradawi is not short of examples and even commands the killing of Muslims whom the unbelievers use as shields, since leaving these unbelievers is a danger to the Muslims. So it is permissible to kill these unbelievers, even if they killed Muslims uh, in the process. So death, mayhem, and even prostitution is sanctioned by the uh, Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, in fact, that's a topic that it will open the Western eyes about sanctioning prostitution, because even in Iran, when they sanction the idea of pleasure marriage, I'm sure you've heard of pleasure marriages in Iran, 
But how many Americans are familiar with Miss Yar marriage, in which um, middlemen can seal uh, deals with Muslim male clients uh, in order to obtain a Muslim woman under a contract called marriage contract for simply giving sexual services? In fact, you can access it yourself on the Internet. For Internet-savvy travelers, there are countless websites like Misyar Online, M-E-S-I-A-R Online, one word, that allow men to arrange these marriages globally, including in the United States, from the comfort of their hotel rooms, in order to basically uh, bring these women for their pleasure marriages. And it's not really a marriage, because the prostitution document says it's a marriage document. Misyar, in fact, was made legal in Saudi Arabia and Egypt, made legal, sanctioned. It is law now in Egypt and Saudi Arabia to commit these acts of whoredom. Uh, Sunnis who approve Misyar condemn, of course, the Shiites for muta. yet they have the same things. What the West needs to understand is that all these things about the Shiites with uh, uh, taqiyya, lying to the enemy, or pleasure marriages, are same, sanctioned in the Sunni world as well, and made lawful in the Sunni world. And in the end, all of this comes down to the matter of, of deception for the purpose of infiltration. And, and once they're able to penetrate Waleed, what becomes the agenda then? Well, the agenda, we've seen it. The penetration already happened, you know. Uh, it's been going on for many years. You have Rashad Hussein, who writes the speech for President Obama. I mean, Americans ought to wake up. I look at the Arabic language, and I see interview between Rashad Hussein, the speechwriter of President Obama, and when he made the speech in Egypt, I could see the interview in Al-Ahram newspaper in Arabic language, in which the editor is asking him, when is the time that you will intervene in the issues of nuclear issues with Iran, and so on and so forth. And, of course, Rashad Hussein, the speechwriter of President Obama, says that I will intervene when the time is right. It's all about timing. It's all about when they gain the foothold in the West by the time they fight people like me and you. And all these people who begin to expose the issues, you could see much of the media talking about anti-Semitism, not that uh, there is uh, uh, racism against Jews, but anti-Semitism is being coined to talk about racism with Muslims, when in fact there is no such thing. Look, America is a country that talks about racism more than any other country in the world. Yet the United States exercises the least amount of racism than any other country in the world. How does the Muslim make the argument that America commits racism against Muslims when the majority of racism that still exists, even in this country, is against Jews. So, you know, this is part of the deception. They, begin, they want to also put in code laws that basically prohibits the freedom of speech in America, in which the Organization of Islamic Council mandated the trial uh, of uh, uh, anyone who says anything against Islam or even critiques Islam to basically even face trial in the Middle East. So if, the, if that happens, that means people like myself and even your own program will be under scrutiny and our freedoms are gone. Uh, so all our forefathers, what they bled and fought for, is for, for, for nil. And this is what the goal is, to take away the freedom of Americans and begin the process of the Islamization of the world. Of course, we know that it's taking place literally right underneath our noses. Get more information, by the way, uh, online at Walid's website, Shobat, it's S-H-O-E-B-A-T, Shobat.com. 
His latest book is entitled God's War on Terror. Information again on the website at Showbot.com or through Amazon.com. And Wally, always a delight and an education to have you with us, brother. We appreciate your time today. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.